for listening to Curious Medicine. This episode is not suitable for children. Hi, and welcome back to Curious Medicine. I'm Christy. And I'm Gloria. Today we have a new co-host with us. Her name is Gloria. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this topic with me today. Absolutely. Today we are talking about labiaplasty. (laughs) This topic may be considered controversial. And because of that, I wanted to open this episode with a disclaimer. Although the concept of this topic is foreign to me, it's no less interesting. I'm intrigued by the reasons this surgery has become in vogue, and I'm also curious about how it's performed. We aren't advocating for or against this procedure. The following discussion is bound to make some women squirm in their seats, but try to relax and listen as we present you with today's topic, labiaplasty. Gloria, do you have any opening stories? Have you ever had labiaplasty? No, (laughs) ma'am. Me me neither. Um, Do you have any opening stories to get us get us started? I do. Okay. And in an effort to keep it light, tight and bright, I'll talk about a a 29 year old former lingerie model and London blogger who went to the doctor with complaints of burning pain in her labia minora. Okay. And was told it was caused by a cyst because of her excess labia tissue. Because this was going to be a recurrent issue, she decided on labiaplasty. But here's the kicker. As a proclamation of being pain-free, she has to keep her labia in a container of surgical fluid and place it on her dresser. After about a year, the tissue became gray and curly. As it does. (laughs) Yes. And so she had a brilliant idea on how to preserve her labia tissue. And so she tapped into her creative side and she turned it into a pink glittery pendant. She painted it, glittered it, put it in some resin, and now she wears it around her neck. No, she does not. As a reminder to never suffer in shame. No, she does yes, not. Yes, ma'am. You want to see pictures? I Yes, I, right. I actually do. <laughs> Gloria, I know you to be an honest person, but I'm sorry, I'm going to need some proof here. <laughs> here you are. And scroll to the next one because it will show the process. Oh, my God. It looks like a liver. It looks like a liver. And she hung and dried it, and I mean she, the whole process. Um, I don't often get speechless, but I oh oh <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! What are you so, scrolling to? <laughs> so I went to the next picture. How can listeners find this? If listeners wanted to find this, they could just do like labia a, pendant, labia, labia necklace, necklace, resin. But if you want your own, guys, just go to Etsy and they're they're in rose gold, gold, silver. What? Yes, ma'am. What? They are not real, but oh. if you want to labia, wear a labia, you can go to Etsy. You can get a labia pen on Etsy. <laughs> yes. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I don't think it looks like Can a butterfly. Can you be a fact checker? <laughs> <laughs> Mindy is Mindy is here listening to us today talk. Um, she's gonna be. She's gonna Google it for us so we can. I'll I take can silver. Be even more astonished. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so I'm looking at this specimen cup, um, and that is disgusting. It they look like worms. I mean, kudos to her for you know putting herself out there and representing her labia yeah. because. It's just, I, I mean, I can I, do it. That's, I, okay. 
Okay. I, okay. I, I, this one <laughs> you're to do. I mean, I think of myself as a very creative person, but I feel very dull right now because <laughs> I would never have considered doing that to. I'm with you, girl. Uh, a surgical <laughs> specimen. Hmm. I'm sorry for all the surgeries I've had that I didn't save the. I know the parts that they pulled out. Gloria, give us an overview of female genital cosmetic surgery. Also known as FGCS, is a category of surgeries that change the appearance of external genitalia in women for non-medical reasons. Mm-hmm. First documented in the 1970s, examples of procedures include vaginoplasty, clitoral hood reduction, G-spot amplification, and the most common, labiaplasty. That comprises about 50% of all female genital cosmetic surgeries. If you don't know, labiaplasty is a reshaping of the inner lips of the vulva, basically a procedure that reduces the length of the redundant labia minora. This is when the labia minora protrudes beyond the labia majora. (laughs) Okay. These cosmetic procedures can be performed by gynecologists, cosmetic surgeons, plastic surgeons, and urologists. And these are often referred to as designer vagina surgeries. They can also be referred to as vulvovaginal aesthetic surgery and barbiplasty. Let's back up for just a second. When you said the different kinds of surgeons that can perform this procedure, what did you say? You said urologist, gynecologist, plastic surgeon, plastic surgeon, and cosmetic surgeon, and cosmetic surgeon. Okay, this seems like a no-brainer to me. But if you were going to get labiaplasty, surgeon, who would you yeah. who would you want to operate on you? One hundred percent a surgeon. No, but which type? A cosmetic. A cosmetic or. Okay. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> the urologist. The definitely <laughs> the, we uh, we agree that definitely the urologist would be out. Out, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I I I I I probably I think I'd want the gynecologist. Really? Yeah, because they're they're they've seen well, the urologist has seen their fair share too. But that's not really the territory of the urologist per se. <laughs> so well, I'm, I'm thinking cosmetic surges, surgeons will specialize in it though. That's my uh, that's my take on it. Is it some money maker? Yeah. Um, hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Um, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. No, you you make a good point. Because I'm thinking you always want it to be pretty when you're done. I mean, I'm not yeah. going through that if it ain't going to be pretty. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> so I guess the point is, is like, it depends on what reason you're having yeah. it done. Okay. All right. That's fair enough. But definitely not the urologist. No. <laughs> no, ma'am. I mean, no. No, thank you. Yeah. I read a, an article that came from some data out of Australia that reported a 140% increase in labiaplasty between 2001 and 2013. And I'm sure it's even greater now because, Mm -hmm. you know, this is, this is uh, what, eight years old now, even though there has been no increase in the incidence of congenital or acquired diseases affecting female genitalia. So there were three age groups that equally sought surgical procedures, age 15 to 24, 25 to 34, and then 35 to 44. So I guess when you get to be our age or my what about age, them 50s? I was going to say, I guess when you get to be my age, <laughs> take it or leave it. Yeah, you just, you know, you, you get what you get. <laughs> Before you suggested that we do this, I don't think it ever occurred to me that women have this operated on. And also because I have been privy to visualize many, many, many yes. sets of labia. <laughs> In my job. So I've seen I've seen them come in all, 
shapes and sizes and uh, no two are the same. That's for sure. I'll tell you that. Christy. Yes. Have you looked at your own labia? Yes, of course I have. Yes, but only only as like a 48-year-old. I only did this recently. I I was listening to an audiobook about like sexual response or something and um the very first chapter suggested that you lay on your bed, get a mirror and take a look and see what things look like down there right. because who does that? You know, women don't typically do that. I mean, I'll have to be honest, I was not acquainted with my nether regions. Yeah. But due to the nature of this podcast, yeah. uh, there you have it. That's yeah. all oh, I'm so, say. That's so, all I'm going to say. So you kicked the tires, you were a, you were a licky-loo. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I don't think there's anything no, wrong with I that. No, like, I think that's uh, Right. I think that, you know, we are, we, I, I feel so empowered right now. Yeah. I think before we talk more about this procedure, we should talk about what's what down there. <laughs> and we're going to have a brief review of anatomy and terminology because we're not going to go through the whole all of the parts, because <laughs> all of the parts don't apply to this particular procedure. Right. And women have a lot of parts. So we're just going to stick with the ones that are going to be relevant to our to our discussion today. So let's start with the vulva. Mm-hmm. The vulva is sort of like an umbrella term, which means the external female genitalia surrounding the opening of the vagina. And by the way, listeners, the vulva is not the vagina. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So let's just be clear. Most especially men tend to think that it is, but it's not. Okay, so the vulva is just the external part, the opening. It includes all of the following, plus some other structures, which we are omitting since they aren't relevant to today's discussion. So you have the labia majora. Those are the two thick outer folds of skin extending from the mons pubis to the perineum. The perineum is the space just anterior to the anus. And on prior episodes, I've referred to this as the taint. (laughs) Um, The mons pubis is the prominent pad of fatty tissue that's usually covered with coarse hair on the frontal or anterior aspect overlying the pubic bones. And if you need a picture for some clarification, just Google it. The labia majora... They enclose and protect the other external genital organs. They are covered with coarse hair. They contain glands, which produce lubricating secretions, and they become engorged with blood during sexual arousal. Not during sex, during sexual arousal. (laughs) Just to be clear, okay? (laughs) And they are equivalent to the scrotum in males. Mm, How's that? Did anyone here already know that little tidbit of information? Nope. Okay. Let's talk about the labia minora, which is going to be our main focus today. Those are the two inner folds, generally smaller, generally, Mm. generally smaller folds of skin between the labia majora. They become engorged with blood during sexual arousal and stimulation. Sometimes these are asymmetric, meaning one side is longer or wider or both than the other side. And sometimes they are also discolored. So sometimes the labia minora can be a totally different color than the labia majora. The clitoris, which is the main pleasure center in female sexuality, is wishbone shaped. It extends around each side of the urethra and vagina. The glands is the external, easily palpable portion located at the top of the vulva, like the tip of an iceberg. (laughs) Because 
again, I've said on prior episodes that the clitoris is deep and wide. It's not just that little bitty, you know, pea sized thing on the outside. It, it's deep and wide, ladies. And it's equivalent to the glands, penis, and males. Gloria, talk to us about what the labia should look like. And when I say should, I want to put air quotes around that word Absolutely. should. And let me just add that the labia minora does not get its props. It's uh, much more than what I imagined. It uh -huh. has much more sensitivity. And uh -huh. while the vagina and the clitoris get all the props, um, yeah, it's all important. Yeah. It yeah. all works together. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Which is why you should just, you know, just be aware of that before Absolutely. you go cutting on it. <laughs> exactly. Now, if you ask my husband what the labia look like uh -huh. the oh vulva, that's interesting the vulva, uh -huh, uh -huh. he would tell you it resembles a butterfly uh -huh. and oh, he'll, yes. he'll make the symbol with his hand it's right. very cute <laughs> now in japan the butterfly appearance of the labia minora is desirable there's no one answer the perception of what is normal is subjective what i've learned from researching labiaplasty is that there is a large disparity in terms of appearance such as length, width, color, and texture, long, short, dark, light, wrinkly, or smooth. And the size can range from two to three inches in width and up to four inches in length. Over time, the appearance of the labia can change due to puberty, pregnancy, and even menopause can cause thinning of the tissue. And there are a variety of shapes as well. Mm -hmm. Did you know that? <laughs> I, I, yes, I, I actually do. <laughs> Just because I've seen quite a few. <laughs> exactly. Uh, some labia have characteristics associated with multiple types and cannot be boxed into one specific category. Here are some examples. One, which you mentioned earlier, was the asymmetrical, where one inner lip is longer than the other. And then there's the curved outer lips. Think of your outer lips like a horseshoe flipped upside down. Wait, think of my outer lips as a horseshoe flipped upside down. <laughs> Hold on. A round curve that meets evenly at the end. Okay. Does that make sense? Here's a picture. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> okay. I get it. Do you get it? Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's hard to imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, then there's the prominent inner lips. Uh, more often than not, the inner lips are longer than and stick out from the outer lips. This difference in length may be more subtle. With the inner lips just barely peeking out or more pronounced. Let me see. I love that you have pictures. <laughs> prominent outer lips. Which is probably what people might consider more normal. Right. Yeah. Okay. 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 And then uh, there's long dangling inner lips. And you, uh, they can dangle up to an inch or more past your outer lips. Yeah. They may even hang outside of your underwear. And you may notice a bit of extra skin or additional folds. So I was out, you know, happy hour, what have you. And I, yeah. I did not discuss my labia with my friends, yeah. but we did discuss that I was doing this podcast. And one of my friends broke out in song. And... <laughs> <laughs> And I know this song from Barney. I mean, sorry, guys, but. Uh, <laughs> so do your lips hang low? Do they wobble to and fro? Can you tie them in a knot? Can you tie them in a bow? Can you throw them over your shoulder like a continental shoulder? Do your lips hang low? That's for you, Carrie. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean. <laughs> That's the first thing that came I out. I mean, of if her, I can tie I my it. labia in a bow, 
Yeah, I, I'd go. I'd probably be willing to let a <laughs> urologist have a stab at that. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Extensively retouched images in social or mainstream media leave men and women little idea of the real range of normal female genitalia. Just to piggyback on what you've already said about what the labia minora should look like, there was an article called Labiaplasty of the Labia Minor, Patients' Indications for Pursuing Surgery. And there's a quote from, from that article. It says, the labia minora protruding past the distal edge of the labia majora can be of concern to women. This condition can constitute a functional or cosmetic problem. But what struck me about that sentence is the word condition, because is it a condition? I mean, I think that's up for debate. I think it depends on what your labia are like and how that makes you feel, because Mm -hmm. I certainly am a huge advocate of women feeling body positivity and good about themselves and you know, feeling sexually confident mm-hmm. or, or whatever kind of um, confidence, you know. So if you, if you have labia that don't fit what your mind says they should be, that's, that's for you alone to co- sort of determine, you know. But I, I don't know if I like the word condition. Anyway, the perception of what is ideal is subjective, of course. And in Rwanda and <laughs> Mozambique, Elongated labia minora are considered attractive, and it's seen as a sign of modesty in Mozambique. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. In Japan, the butterfly appearance of the labia minora is desirable, like you were mentioning earlier. And it's funny because (laughs) I'm not dating this person anymore, but my ex-boyfriend, when I was like researching originally for all of this, and I went to to see him, we were talking about it, and I, I said, you know, what we were researching and he was like oh I think it's kind of erotic you know like he was (laughs) he thought it was erotic to have labia minora that you know protruded beyond the labia majora so everybody's different you Mm -hmm. know who can say why certain people like certain things and what turns you on doesn't turn me on or Mm -hmm. whatever you know I'd like to mention a couple of resources that I've personally stumbled upon. There's an art installation that was, I think it was created in 2013. It was in Italy. And there's also a book from the same art installation called The Great Wall of Vagina by British artist Jamie McCartney. While working on a genital project for a sex museum, I didn't even know there was such a place, (laughs) but I want to go. The artist became aware of how many of his models didn't like the appearance of their genitals. His response to this sad realization, 400 plaster casts of women's vulvas age 18 to 76. Age 18 to 76. Mm. He has 400 women in that age range willing (laughs) to let them make a plaster cast of their vulva, demonstrating the beauty and extreme variance between them. Like fingerprints, no two are the same. So even though it's called the Great Wall of Vagina, and we've already established that the vulva is not the vagina, (laughs) nobody's going to know what the Great Wall of Vulva is because people don't go around using that word. Well, girls trip to Italy. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But I think any woman who would take the time to look at these casts will surely find a vulva resembling her own, Mm -hmm. assuming that the woman knows what her own looks like. Exactly. Yeah, you got to take a mirror. So grab a mirror, lady. Got to get a mirror. And (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So there's also a documentary that was so interesting. It was called The Perfect Vagina Documentary, and it's on YouTube. Um, and then there's also um, a show called The Goop Lab on Netflix. There's an episode in particular called The Pleasure is Ours. Mm-hmm. And so this is about the company that Gwyneth Paltrow owns. And on one of the episodes, <laughs> she she uh, has like a sex therapist on there. And it's so weird because they go to this sex therapist, like they send like eight women to the sex therapist and they're all sitting around naked it's and they're so all California. Like, oh my God. I know. <laughs> and they're all sitting with their legs open uh, yeah, and they're yeah, looking yeah. at their vulvas and each other's vulvas is so weird. <laughs> I know I would not do that. Is it a good date night video? I think it's weird. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it was erotic. I thought it was weird. Really? Okay. Yeah. Like I, like like when I looked at my own, I don't, I didn't want an audience. <laughs> I didn't, I mean like, okay, ladies, let's get naked and look at our vulvas yeah, right now. No, crazy. I don't think so. That's crazy. <laughs> no, 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 no one here is going to be seeing my vulva. I did not unless... bring here. <laughs> <laughs> Gloria's like, I didn't come prepared for that. <laughs> You didn't tell me this was what we were going to do, Karen. Oh, my God, Christine. Because Mindy and I have established that, like, you know, like, if I ever had, if I ever had crabs, for example, and I couldn't pick out my own pubic lice, that she would pick, she would help me with that. (laughs) But unless and until that happens or something else where I need a medical intervention, nobody here is seeing my labia. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> it's for men's eyes only. Um, okay. So, Gloria, talk to us about the factors that are increasing the demand for this. All right. So, not surprisingly, social media and the internet play a large role with the spike in labiaplasty, with pornography being a major influence. Uh, pornography provides a ready source of images, many of which are digitally modified which shape perceptions of the ideal labia, which is flat and smooth. Uh, Another major player in this increased fascination of achieving the perfect labia is the mainstream practice of removing pubic hair. Now a previously unseen labia has been exposed, and women's awareness of her external genitalia has now increased. Uh, Yeah, which, you know, so, (laughs) so that is something that is perplexing to me. I don't know if it's... I, I don't know why exactly, but I... I personally feel weird if I didn't have like any hair. Um, I mean, I see women all the time that don't and, and whatever. And I know that like, you know, we did a, an episode on lice and pubic light crabs, you know? (laughs) And so they very often shaved all of their hair off their body. But like for me, it looks prepubescent. Yeah. So and forget the upkeep. I mean, I know, right? Yeah, yeah. because yeah. also, like, when it starts to grow, I mean, even when I just shave my my like bikini line, right, right. Um, that j- stubble just growing out is very uncomfortable. I mean, you got to trim, but I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, leave yeah. some natural, yeah. natural look to. Uh, that's yeah. my opinion. Yeah, and you know, honestly, it's. Yeah, and I think it's also very culturally different. You know, like different cultures uh, have different expectations about about what that 
should be. And so I just try to like, no judgment <laughs> this here. Is, this is fascinating. <laughs> it's very interesting. I just try to be, I try to appeal to the masses. <laughs> I'm open minded. No judgment here. <laughs> Okay. Another contributor is the increase in athletics and in the pursuit of fitness and sports participation. A large or protruding labia can cause chafing. It can be uncomfortable and even painful. And who, yeah, that would be. I yeah. mean, that would be another reason that I might let a urologist. And maybe this, <laughs> maybe this is why the fifteen-year-old is getting checked. I mean, yeah, kids start really young yeah, in yeah, sports yeah. these days, so I, yeah. I get it. Yeah, uh, in that respect, and. Yeah. Um, and who doesn't want that smooth look in their athleisure wear? Right. I mean, tight clothing oh, yeah. and what have you. These damn yoga pants. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. They highlight that yeah. like crazy. Yeah. So um, I get that. Another reason for the spike in labiaplasty may be comments from a romantic partner resulting in women thinking, I didn't know I wasn't normal. Also, pain during intercourse where the labia can be a deciding factor. The labia menorah gets folded up and caught up in there. Say that again. The labia minora gets folded and kind of during caught, sex and kind of caught up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that. Uh, even when they're like cycling craze that's gone on. Yeah. The labia minora can get pinched. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I, I I think I might have to have labiaplasty if that were the case. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. And there's really a high satisfactory rate with this surgery, so it's not surprising that it's gone on the uprise. Okay, are there any other factors increasing demand? Cosmetic surgery is more acceptable these days, yeah. and so it's yeah. not unusual to have something done like that. Yeah, the information that I read said that changes in cultural norms, you know, which have determined that protruding labia minora beyond the labia majora is bad or undesirable. There are three primary sociocultural influences, which are peers, <laughs> such as like your female friends. But I mean, I don't know, do women sit around discussing the appearance of their labia? We because I until <laughs> like today, right now, and actually, I wouldn't even consider this a discussion of the appearance of our labia. We're just talking about labia in general. Right. We're not talking about our own. Is hair. it a millennial thing? I don't I don't know. I have no clue. <laughs> and then also, okay, so this is a point that I want to make about romantic partners. Um, it says this is likely to be one of the very few people from whom women will receive comments on the appearance of her labia. So a negative comment can do a lot of harm. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Have you ever looked at your partner's penis and made any comment about how it looks? Have not. Because that would, would be not. the last time y'all have sex. Actually, yeah. Because it would get into his psyche. It would, it would mess with his ego there's no way you could make any comment about the the appearance of his absolutely not external genitalia and think that you're gonna have any kind of healthy relationship going forward <laughs> because, and vice versa healthy yeah no. so like yeah. why so like why is why why would a man think that it's okay to comment on a woman's whether it protrudes or not. Why, why, why would that be okay? It's not it's just, okay. Yeah, it's not. Absolutely. It's not okay. It's not okay. Men. Hello. Advertisements. Mass media has increased public awareness of cosmetic surgery. So, so I guess this podcast is contributing to this phenomenon. <laughs> Sadly. Okay. Informative. Or, or maybe good or not. We were talking about the digitally modified pornographic images showing no protrusion of the labia minora. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, in Australia, for images of female genitals to be considered safe 
for public viewing, such as in softcore pornography, any protruding labia are digitally removed, leaving only a clean slit or a single crease. Yep. Isn't that crazy? That's so crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> kind of frustrating. Did any, did, any, did either of your moms ever talk to you about... <laughs> I know this is just such a stupid question. No. Yeah. My, I don't even think my mom had the sex no. talk with me. So. I mean, I did have a sex talk. Uh, I was about eight years old. My mom. Eight. Yeah. My mom pulled a, a, a book. <laughs> Your mom is And like, a beer. We're and she sat this me aside. <laughs> hey. But I was, a, I was a good girl for a long time. So oh. maybe that was a good thing. <laughs> okay. Okay. Your, mom, your mama knew something. Yeah. She knew what was up. And okay. I, did, I told my girl in fourth grade, "Yeah, watch out for them boys. They're right. going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to pull your <laughs> hair. And Okay, let's talk about the reasons that women seek to have this done. The most frequently cited reason is simply aesthetic dissatisfaction. So they just don't like the way they look. Okay. Other reasons are to feel normal, to improve their sex life, to improve sexual sensation and or sexual response, which I guess is to improve the sex life. <laughs> <laughs> to look desirable and improve self-confidence. Aging, cancer, functional impairment, such as uh, labial discomfort or irritation. That's one of the most common complaints. Difficulty grooming. Discomfort with sports or exercise, which we've talked about. Painful intercourse. Inability to wear certain types of clothing or bathing suits. Uh, splitting or splaying of the urine stream. <laughs> That's an interesting one. <laughs> okay, maybe the urologist does have a role. <laughs> we'll let them play. Uh, shame and embarrassment, loss of self-esteem, psychological distress, diminished libido, congenital anomalies, sex change surgery, and from the article labiaplasty of the labia minor, patients indications for pursuing surgery. In general, there are three broad groups of women seeking the surgery and all of the women surveyed. There was almost a three way tie between them. Group one was strictly for aesthetic reasons. Group two was strictly for functional impairment and group three was for both aesthetic and functional reasons. Definitely a crossover there. Gloria, talk to us about if a woman were to decide to pursue this explain to us what she might expect during her initial consultation with a surgeon, whatever type of surgeon she's chose. (laughs) (laughs) There's not a lab or imaging test for labial hypertrophy. On the initial visit, you'll be given a physical exam and asked for a thorough medical history. You will also be asked for an explanation of your symptoms and reasons for wanting labiaplasty. At this time, you'll also discuss your goals and expectations and discuss uh, what method meets your needs. In 2016, 2017, and 2020, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists recommended that women seeking labiaplasty be informed of the normal variations of the labia and possible complications and physical changes that occur over time, and that the patient's physical and emotional development be evaluated. Consultation of non-surgical techniques must be provided. So there are, oh, there are non-surgical techniques. Yes. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if like, let's say that you're a 22 year old and you, you don't like the way it looks for whatever reason. It looks like whatever it looks like and you don't like the way it looks. I wonder if when you get to be 60, if you can expect, like if you had labiaplasty at the age of 22, 
I wonder if when you get to age 60, Ooh. if it's going to, you know. Change? Change, yeah. I didn't see I'm that sure in any does. of my research. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So there are some things to be aware of before you go deciding to have this done. General risks and complications of labiaplasty or bleeding, hematoma, which is a bruise, infection, reopening of the wound. That sounds, that sounds really painful. Can you imagine? Mm. Scar contracture. That also sounds Late terribly crosser. uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I'm squirming in my seat. Scar tissue, which may make the genitalia look or feel unnatural. Painful or hypersensitive scars. Okay, this would be my fear is that you have something like this and then you're worse yes, off for it, absolutely. right? It creates a whole different problem. Mm -hmm. That would be my fear. And I, like I said, I don't want anybody coming near my stuff with any knives or scalpels, <laughs> whether they're a urologist or a cosmetic surgeon, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I'm not differentiating there. Pain in general, there are so many nerves in that area. And then painful intercourse, reduced arousal, the labia become engorged with blood during arousal. So that's the other thing is, you know, they provide a function. So make no mistake about that. Like if you go cutting portions of them off, it might change your sexual response. Excess tissue removal. <laughs> okay. What if you happen to get, you can't get it back. a surgeon that got a little too gung-ho mm -hmm. <laughs> he was having a bad morning no. <laughs> or whatever you know like it doesn't grow back no. so we think we think it doesn't grow back pretty sure <laughs> we assume it doesn't i've not seen that in my, but, in my research <laughs> um you know if they remove too much tissue this may cause chronic pain with and without intercourse mm -hmm. so again you might just be trading one problem for a different set of problems. That's that would be my fear. And then torn scar tissue during childbirth. Oh my God! Can you imagine? Mm -mm -mm. Um, psychological distress. I'm feeling the psychological distress <laughs> just imagining what could happen. Yes. And then reduced natural lubrication. Okay. Not good. Hello, because again, they have they have these glands in there. Once again, are, props yeah. to the labia minora. Exactly. Yes. They they have work to do, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Leave them alone. If yeah. You, if Let you them can. do their if jobs. You can. Yeah. Let them do their jobs. <laughs> if if yes, if you can. Now we're going to talk about the different techniques, Gloria. Hey. Why don't you get us going? <laughs> All right. I want to discuss two common surgical techniques for labiaplasty. The trim technique and the wedge technique. I'm um, just going to simplify it. The trim is the most common, uh, resulting in high satisfaction with a low complication rate. The trim is performed by removing the outer edge of the inner labia, making it even with the outer labia. One of the benefits of this approach is the removal of the darkest part of the labia, which is one of the cosmetic reasons for choosing labiaplasty. One of the possible downsides is over-resection or scalloped labia edges. Mm. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So we're talking like scalloped potatoes. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's where it's like rippled. It's like a oh, rippled appearance. Not smooth. Well, are any labia minora smooth? I know. I, I don't know what that even means. And over resection, that's what you were talking about, like cutting off too much. Yeah. It's not okay. All right. So uh, with the wedge technique, 
A pie-shaped section of tissue is removed from both sides of the labia minora, so imagine a V-shape, and the remaining edges are stitched together. This approach has less risk for chronic pain and the least amount of visible scarring. However, a risk to the wedge is the appearance of distinct pizza-shaped gaps when the edges are pulled apart. You can watch any of these techniques on YouTube, and it is fascinating. And yeah, it's like Swiss cheese. When you pull that labia out, it's like a piece of Swiss cheese. It's crazy. There's scarless labiaplasty, which is also known as Aviva or Femtite treatment. (laughs) Um, It's usually performed in the physician's office with laughing gas and local anesthetic. So that's the one I would want is the the laughing gas one. Can I have the laughing gas treatment? Um, So this... This uh, femtite thing is radio frequency. It's like yeah. RF ablation or radio frequency yep. ablation. It's used to tighten and reduce the size of the labia without excising tissue. Yes. So I watched a video of this. And let me just say. Does it work? I, I don't know. <laughs> but let me just say that it was it was on YouTube. He didn't seem doctor like it was. Yeah. And it was very weird. And it was actually almost painful to watch him do this video. But anyway, he, um, this guy that used this technique said it can be performed on any part of the vulva. So the labia majora, the labia minora, the clitoral hood, and the mons pubis. It takes about an hour for the procedure. There is some post-procedural swelling. It's extremely low risk of infection. Seven to ten days, you'll be back to all your normal activities. It does not replace labiaplasty for many patients. So it's only good for about a 20% reduction in size. It's not ideal for asymmetry issues or significantly protruding labia minora. And the full effect of the procedure takes about two to three months to realize. So it's like they blast it with this energy. (laughs) And then and then you like go home and just wait for it to shrink. (laughs) Did you Uh, know there's a laser labiaplasty also? I do. But talk to us about it. Okay, it's called Acculite. And it's a minimally invasive approach providing contouring, contracting and skin tightening. And then there's the O-Shot. While performed to increase a woman's sex drive can be used to improve tightness of the labia. And this is a lunchtime procedure. This stimulates cellular rejuvenation and involves injecting the clitoris and labia with platelets from your own blood. And once again, this takes about three to four months to um, show maximum benefit. Would you let somebody inject your clitoris with anything? Ouch. No. Uh, no, no, I mean, again, I, but <laughs> these techniques are like facelifts, facelifts for the labia. Yeah, but the clitoris isn't my labia. <laughs> so nobody, nobody's going near my clitoris with anything but pleasure things, not the any, pleasure no principle. sharp or poking painful. <laughs> <laughs> Post-procedure care. Gloria, talk to us. What happens after you have like a trim or a wedge labiaplasty? All right. Uh, following surgery, a small to moderate amount of pain, tenderness, swelling, and bruising can be expected. You'll most likely be prescribed antibiotics or, and uh, anti-inflammatories. There may be discharge for 7 to 10 days, so it's recommended to wear a pad. Uh, one can be expected to be out of commission for about a week. Rigorous activity should be avoided for four to six weeks and wearing tampons and also intercourse avoided for six weeks. I read that ice and elevate, <laughs> interesting, elevate. Elevate your bottom. And urinate in the shower or on the toilet with the squirt bottle. 
And bring out those granny panties. Right. You want to yes. wear some loose clothing. Yeah. Most swelling subsides in six weeks. However, residual swelling may take up to six months to subside. Uh, oh, you have a story about a butcher doctor? Oh, my God. Have you ever heard of Dr. Love or the Love Surgeon? No. Okay. So James Burt, a gynecologist and obstetrician, not a surgeon, wrote a book in 1975 called Surgery of Love, where he wrote that women were structurally inadequate for intercourse and that this was a pathological condition fixed by surgery. He claimed his surgery could turn his patients from scared little mice to horny little mice by increasing their sexual sensitivity. Here's the kicker, guys. He would conduct vaginoplasty or hoodectomy procedures on unsuspecting women following childbirth. What? Yes. There's a book on this butcher. Oh, my God. His experimental surgeries would last. What's the name of the book? I don't know. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Probably Dr. Love. Okay. His experimental surgeries would last several hours after childbirth. Sadly, most patients were left sexually dysfunctional with extensive scarring and infections, many needing corrective surgery. You see? You see? That's why no one's going near that with any knife or scalpel. Yeah. You know. Mm -hmm. No one. This went on for 20 years before before he was exposed. He wrote a book on this. He voluntarily suspended his license. They didn't take it. They didn't arrest him. They... He got sued, but he just said, I'll get, I'll surrender my license. And nothing else happened. And nothing else happened. And his son stood by his side and said that what he did was wonderful for women. And some of the women responded by saying it felt like rape. It felt like, I mean, I got divorced because of this, because I couldn't perform anymore. That is disgusting. Yeah, absolutely. This happened in the 1970s. You know what he said? The difference between uh, sexual pleasure and rape is salesmanship. What? That is crazy. That is so crazy. Unreal. Unreal. Okay. A few closing remarks. Yes. Uh, do you have anything else? I do. That you would. Oh, okay. No, closing remarks. Ladies, be an educated consumer. Browse before and after photos. Read patient testimonials. Choose an experience board certified plastic surgeon or gynecologist (laughs) or urologist if that's the direction you want to go we don't want to disparage anybody but i I wouldn't go there but you can avoid anyone contributing to labia shame and before rushing out to alter your lady parts the unique characteristics of your vulva is what makes yours uniquely yours. Right. Okay, so my closing remarks are, I feel like the best way to convey my opinion and the perfect summary to end this episode is a quote from an article we've referenced several times called Labiaplasty of the Labia Minor, Patients Indications for Pursuing Surgery. Quote, a survey of 3,627 women found that women with positive body images reported more sexual activity, initiation of sexual activity, orgasm, sex with the lights on, greater comfort undressing in front of their partners, trying new sexual behaviors, and pleasing their partner. Realizing one's genital image is part of one's body image, it's easy to understand how many women might feel sexually inhibited if they are not comfortable with the appearance of their vagina 
vulva or external genitalia. So you do you people. Yes. If you, you know, if getting it nipped and tucked makes you feel more confident and sexually assertive or whatever, then just go see somebody reputable. Yes. Yeah. With a good, with a good surgical history. <laughs> Well, Gloria, thank you so much for doing this episode with me. And uh, this was really fun. It's very interesting. I learned a lot. And um, thank you, everybody, for listening. And we hope that you'll join us next week.